It is good to be together with our church family this morning, and I hope that your week went well, and it's time for us to sort of do a check-in around the scripture, to find what the Bible has to say to us as we continue the sermon series that we've been on, and ask how God might speak to us through the words that he has given to us in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is the story of young Ruth, who has become the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and we are going to be picking it up in chapter 4 this morning, so if you have your text, I invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 4. When I refer to the text, I will be looking at the English Standard Version. This morning's message I am entitling, Don't Just Check the Box on Your To-Do List. And I say that because as I get to this point in this story, it's obvious that Ruth has learned to establish a relationship with God and knows very well what her relationship with God is. And she's come in contact with this man, Boaz, who's certainly a man of faith, who's living a godly life. They are not just checking a box. They're living out their life of faith, and that is empowering how they treat one another. The problem for us as Christians, and it's something that I've heard people use sort of as a catchphrase over the years, is sometimes our faith can become nothing more than just checking a box. Now, no matter where we are spiritually, it can happen at any time, where all of a sudden, at some point in our life, we just get to the place where we say, well, I just need to go to church this week, there I did it, now I can move on. Or maybe we even do it sometimes with our prayers. We just say, well, I just need to do a prayer in the morning, so we do it and we move on. But it's really not in that kind of personal relationship with God that we're invited to be in constantly. As I mentioned earlier in our service, we have Faith Community Movie Night. We're calling it hashtag FCC Movie Night. If you go on Facebook and post something about it, use that hashtag. Last night, we watched the movie Overcomer. So people throughout our congregation in different locations, we all watch the same movie. And in that movie, there is a coach who is a basketball coach and now has an opportunity I say opportunity because it's a reluctant opportunity. It's not really something he wanted to do. He becomes a cross-country coach, and lo and behold, he only has one person on his cross-country team, and so he's very discouraged. But at the same time, he's a man of faith, and he's working in a Christian school, and his pastor has invited him to do pastoral visits. And so it's obvious when he does this visit with his pastor, he's literally just checking a box. He's just doing what he's told to do. It's just something that, well, you know, I'm a good Christian, I need to do that. Life changed, however, for him when he does his pastoral visit with his pastor because the room that he's supposed to go into is too full with too many people in it, and so he leans upon a door of somebody that he doesn't know, and the door kind of opens, and he ends up with a gentleman that he's never met before, And he starts talking to that man, and in the conversation, the guy asks him a very basic question, who are you? Who are you? And the coach struggles because so much of his identity really has been about checking off boxes. I'm a husband. I'm a man. I'm a dad. I'm a coach. I'm a Christian. 
But in each of those, as he answers a question, he's pushed a little further and saying, well, if everything in life was taken away from you, who are you? What is your identity? And that's really what I mean about not just checking off the box. Rather than doing our stuff in life and saying, there, I just did it, therefore, I've done what I'm supposed to do, when we really get down to who we are as an individual, who are we? Do we understand fully our relationship with God and have that kind of an intimate relationship with God that no matter what's going on around us or no matter what else is happening, we know that God is with us and we are his beloved children. In our story, as we get to chapter 4, we've gotten to the point where Ruth has lost her first husband. She and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi, of course, has also lost her husband, have come to Bethlehem. And there, Ruth, as we saw last week, was out gleaning in a field and was just hoping in her gleaning of the field to just get enough food to sort of exist and, and be able to get through every single day. Her mother-in-law had gotten so discouraged and frustrated in her life that she'd gone so far as to rename herself and said, don't call me Naomi, Naomi anymore, call me Mara, which means bitterness. And then, because God is present all the time in life in ways that we can't even imagine, as Ruth is out gleaning in the field, she just happens to be, notice how it is, just happens, we know that with God there are no coincidences, but she just happens to be in a field that's owned by Boaz, and Boaz is a godly man. And this man, Boaz, starts watching out for Ruth, and they discover that he's a distant cousin on her, her husband, who's passed away, side. And in watching out for her, it's obvious that a relationship between these two people has begun, and he does everything he can to care for her and to care for Naomi to make sure that they get enough food to, to eat. And then he goes one step further and he says, you know, your field can be redeemed so that your family inheritance can be restored and you can get married again. You can become a wife and start a family. But he said the problem is, and this was a custom of the day, there's somebody who sort of has a right of first refusal in their culture. And he said, I need to check with that man first to see if this would be okay. Now, Boaz, as the story goes, at least as I read it, very much wants to marry Ruth and wants to do everything he can to restore this family, to bring blessings to this family. And the image that we come across as eventually Boaz will marry her is one of redemption, one of salvation. It's not a spiritual salvation, but it's a saving her out of a horrible situation that she's in that becomes much of a model for how we understand our relationship with God. Not that we will find a Boaz person in our life, but we will find better than that. We discover a Savior who loves and cares for us and wants us to be in a relationship that's more than just checking off a box. It's a deep relationship where our sins are forgiven, where we're beloved and we're loved and we're cared for. But at this point in the story, as we enter into chapter 4, Boaz has to go and check with this other guy. And as he checks with him to see if he's willing to take all this land that had been in Naomi's family and now could be transferred to Ruth if she can get married... He realizes, and we realize, that we need to beware of false saviors. 
because the person that she's going to go to, the person that he's going to go speak to, really doesn't care about Ruth. She's really not there for the purpose of doing something for her. We discover in the story that he only thinks about himself. Notice as I pick up our text in verse 1. Now, Boaz had gone to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer. That's his guy that I'm talking about. That's this other person who's wanting and having this opportunity to, to receive this land that is in another family's name, and now he's able to bring it into his family. And behold, this Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside, and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down there. And so they also sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I'll redeem it. Notice his response, absolutely. The land sounds awesome. Great, give it to me. I'll take it and I'll make it part of my farm. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Notice the change of tone that comes next. Then the redeemer said, I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Do you hear what we just heard? There's this guy who has the opportunity to acquire property from Naomi and Ruth. When it's a financial deal and it's in his best interest, he goes, this is awesome, of course. You know, free land or something that I can buy, you know, 10 cents on the dollar sounds good to me. I'll take it and I'll add it to my family inheritance. But at the very moment that he finds out that it doesn't come with strings attached, it comes with people attached. And he has to be willing to care for a wife, Ruth, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and it's personal, now it's about love and thinking of another person, he backs off and wants nothing to do with it. This false savior is basically saying, yes, I want her land, I just don't want her. That's what false saviors do in this world. And if we're honest, they're all over the place. There are people, there are institutions, there are things that want to take from you and from me, but they don't care about us. And they're not there for the purpose of making our lives better or enhancing, even though they may try to tell us that. They may sell us that bill of goods. But in reality, they're doing nothing more than just wanting something for themselves. Now, please understand I own a timeshare, so this is not putting down timeshares. My wife and I enjoy going to our timeshare down in Sedona each year, and it's how we spend our vacation. But we're very much aware that... If you go to a timeshare, such as the one that we go to in Sedona, you discover that there are always salespeople that are promising you everything but will deliver you nothing. 
They will make everything sound so good and so wonderful and make you think, wow, you just really need to have this. In fact, we're going to give you the greatest gift that we can just to get you in here, and you cannot imagine how good what we have to offer you is, only to discover afterwards when a person buys, they frequently discover they didn't get anything they want. One time, Regina and I were sitting in one of their presentations. Regina hates the presentations and asks me why I continue to go to them. I always enjoy them. I don't buy anything, but I do enjoy them. And one time we were offered something that was just amazing. And we said, okay. And the guy wrote down all the information on a sheet of paper. And, and at that point, I took the paper, didn't think anything about that action, but I just took the paper. And then they came and they had me sign all of the details and everything. And we gave them a deposit and was very, very happy with the deal that I had just worked out. Until I went back to our room and I looked at what I had signed and it was completely different than the piece of paper the guy had given me. And I called them up and I said, could I come talk to them? And they said, it doesn't matter. What you've done is what you've done. You should have read more carefully what I had. And I said, could I speak to one of the managers? And one of the managers came down and I said to him, this is not what was agreed to. I said, I just totally feel like I'm being taken advantage of. And he said, well, you know, you did sign the paper. And I pulled out the other paper that the guy had written on, and he said, where did you get that? And I said, oh, when he was writing down his notes, he put it down. And I said, could I have it? And he let me have it. He goes, oh, yeah, your, your deal is null and void. I said, why is that? He said, well, because you have his sheet of paper that wrote what he actually had, and he signed it here, so don't worry about it. We'll get you out of the timeshare. And then he said to me words I'll never forget. He says, never give up that sheet of paper because if somebody tries to look at your contract and say, oh, look what you signed, you have what the person really told you they were doing with their signature, you're not going to be held liable for the contract you've just signed. And we got out of the contract. And I've thought about that very many times in my life, how a person was willing to write something down on a piece of paper, talk to me about something, tell me that they were offering me something, only to think that they were pulling back that sheet of paper, but when I asked for it, they let me take it, and then had me sign something totally different, and had I not had that sheet of paper, there was nothing I could have done. Isn't that much of what life is? There are always people in this world who are out to tell us something, or give us something, or promise us something that's not real. We think of this stimulus package that has just come out. Trust me, folks, there will be people who will be false saviors out there. In fact, I guarantee they've already begun, who are going to be doing things to prey on people, to promise things that aren't true, so that they can get something for themselves, all the while not caring about you or me. In the movie Overcomer, the guy who is in the bed when the coach goes into the, the hospital room. His name is Thomas Hill. And he talks to the coach about false saviors that he's had in his own life before he came to faith in Christ. And he names them. I wrote them down as I watched the movie. He said, athletics became a false savior for me. Work became a false savior for me. Drugs, women, I think in our own society, there are so many things that promise us a life different than what it will ever deliver. Sometimes it's people, again, sometimes it's things. Alcohol, drugs, work, politics. 
I look at how many people in our society get so caught up in their own political agenda, all the while thinking that there's somebody out there who's promising them something that they're never going to get. We're never going to get it because politics so often becomes a vehicle of just trying to put together a group of people to have a coalition to get the majority vote, not to really care about the people. Even credit ratings can become a false savior. In our story, Boaz reveals a false savior. A guy who doesn't care about Ruth and doesn't care about Naomi, but absolutely wants to take their possessions and is happy to take them. We need to be careful of that. And we need to understand that there is a difference between a false savior and believing in the true savior. And of course, we know that the true savior is our savior, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. In the story, it's it's a story many years before the coming of Jesus. And so it's really a sort of a type of who Jesus becomes for us. This guy, Boaz, is not a spiritual savior, but he's certainly a person who cares about Ruth and Naomi. And I love in verses 9 and 10, when Boaz says to the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses this day, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Limelech and all that belong to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth and the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Boaz bought the land. And then it's interesting. I hope you smiled as I read the next part, and I even hope you went back and re-looked at it. Yes, it says, then Boaz bought his wife. Don't get any ideas. This is not a new practice at Faith Community Church. We're not going to be selling husbands and wives around here, but I'd like to explain where that comes from. The Hebrew word for buy is the Hebrew word kana. It really has a meaning to purchase something or to acquire something. So in the book of Proverbs, for instance, in Proverbs 16, verse 16, it says it's better to kana, or acquire, wisdom than gold. It's sort of a play on words. You can buy gold or you can acquire wisdom. It's better not to spend your money on gold. It's better to acquire wisdom, is what we're told in Proverbs Well, likewise here, there's a play on words. Boaz buys the land. It's sort of like buying gold, and this allows him to acquire a new wife, to marry Ruth. Note the same could be said that Ruth also acquires Boaz as a husband. With this play on words, we see that a real Savior wants us, whereas a fake Savior or a false savior just wants to buy our possessions or own the things we have or get from us. And there's a huge difference. Boaz loved his new wife. The story of Ruth and Boaz is the ultimate love story. And not only does he love Ruth and does she love him, he loves his new mother-in-law and he honors the entire family. That's why Boaz is a type of Jesus as savior Because he's not thinking about himself and acquiring something for himself. He's thinking of doing the best for this other person. Again, I go back to the movie Overcomer that many of us watched last night. And again, if you didn't catch that one, please join us next Saturday because we'll have a new Faith Community Church movie that we'll be able to watch together and, and let each other know that we're watching even though we're in different places. But in the movie last night as we watched, there was Hannah Scott 
who was a young girl who was troubled, who had gone to this new school where Coach Harrison had become her coach, and she was this one person on this cross-country team. But in her life, there was this principal, and she was the principal of Berkshire Christian School, and she had become a mentor and a caring person for young Hannah. Why, she had even gone out of her way to pay the tuition to get her into the school, and she asked nothing for herself. She simply just was there to try to help this person, to care for her, to unconditionally love, to live out what we're taught in the New Testament, which is the word agape, love, which is not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of someone else. Now, as human beings, whether we are this principle in a movie, or whether we are Boaz, or whether we're any one of us, we're still human beings, and we're imperfect, but we can express that same kind of love to others. But the only person who is the perfect Savior is our true Savior, Jesus, who unconditionally loves you. And during these troubled times, wants to have a deeper relationship with you. Doesn't want you to check a box to say, oh, I prayed to Jesus today, or check a box and say, oh, I did my devotions today, or even joined a faith group today, therefore I can go along with the rest of my day, but wants you to know that his love is unconditional for you, that if you were the only person on this earth who had ever done anything wrong, his love for you is so amazing that he gave his life for you personally. He's asking nothing out of you other than a relationship. He's asking to forgive your sins and to continue to grant you forgiveness and to be the kind of person, an example in your life, to teach you and me how to live our lives so that during these anxious times, Jesus isn't a false savior taking from us. He's a true savior saying, how can I enhance your life better? How can I get you through this? How can I help you know that I will never leave you? or never forsake you. No, Jesus doesn't take from us. He's our true savior and he loves us unconditionally. But the problem with us as Christians is so often we only look at our relationship with God as our sins being forgiven and we forget all of the other benefits of being a Christian. There's this morning just as Ruth and Naomi are going to benefit from this relationship from this guy Boaz who loves and cares for them. I invite you to hear the third thing that I take from our text this morning, which is benefit from salvation. It's an invitation I'm giving you. Benefit from your salvation. Benefit from what God is doing in your life. Verses 11 and 12, we're told that then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we're witnesses. And now may the Lord make the woman, that being Ruth, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Family, you know, is now seen in our text as the ultimate blessing that's far beyond having their land redeemed, that's given to Ruth and Naomi. Yes, they started just hoping for enough food to get by, and then they probably would have been happy just to keep their family name together and be able to know that they had property to earn a living off of. But they're blessed with something so far beyond that, that as Boaz takes Naomi to be his wife, 
They're promised a blessing beyond anything they could imagine because they're being promised a family. And in those days, there was certainly no greater blessing. And as Pastor David talked about earlier today, I think we can all agree that our greatest blessings in our life is our relationships with our family. I know I've mentioned it before, but I have a little granddaughter. I have nothing better in life than spending time when life gets difficult or stressful. Just to hold little Ruby Grace and look at her and talk to her and realize what a blessing she is from God. Well, for Ruth, she's promised that she and, and Boaz will start a family. They'll be like Rachel and Leah, who are the mothers of the children of the 12 tribes of Israel, who eventually, of course, become in the lineage not only of David, but also in the lineage of our Savior Jesus. And, of course, the same is true of Ruth and Boaz. They have no concept of how beyond just having their physical needs being met, are they in the blessings that are being given to them that day? They're even told that their life will be like Tamar, who had twins and her family continued. You see, salvation is offered to you and me, a relationship with Jesus, an opportunity to have our sins forgiven, and that's kind of like having this land redeemed, and maybe even it's about the marriage and saying, okay, we have a relationship But when we accept Christ, we don't just receive salvation. We don't just receive forgiveness. We receive so much more. We receive a church family. We receive people who will pray for us. We receive the promises of scriptures that God will always be with us. There are so many benefits from salvation, but we need to stop checking off the box in our life and realizing it's about deepening our relationship with God and getting to know Jesus better and spending time with him. Thomas Hill, the guy who I mentioned earlier in the movie Overcomer, the one who talked about all the false saviors in his life, told how he had lost everything in life. But then he came to faith in Jesus, and even as he had lost his eyesight and the end of his life was winnowing away, he realized he had gained so much more than he ever expected. Young Hannah, the runner, also comes to faith in the movie, and she discovers that God's given to her a perfect father to make up for all the hurts in this world that her own father had been for her. At one point, someone turns, I believe it's a principle, and says to Hannah, you know, God doesn't force salvation on us. He offers it to us. God doesn't force a relationship on us. We're not sitting at home watching this service this morning, having God force us into do anything or to give anything or to be anything. It's a gift that's offered to us to say at any moment in our life, we can know beyond any shadow of doubt that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit's in our lives, that we can become more the people that God wants us to be, that we can have peace in our lives and we can have a relationship with God and start experiencing complete forgiveness for things that we're holding on to, be able to turn over the concerns we have to God and get rid of them and give them to him and trust and believe that he's more powerful than we are or anything in this world and believe that he will take care of us. We can look at things like the coronavirus coronavirus epidemic, and we can pray, as we talked about last week, and know that God hears our prayers. Think of how awesome that is. 
We value our cell phones because we can be in contact with our loved ones. Well, God gives us better than a cell phone. He gives us complete access to him 24-7. Wake up in the middle of the night having a troubled dream or a, a moment of anxiety. We have blessings and benefits of our salvation of knowing that God is with us no matter what. Regina and I have a number of things that we enjoy doing, one of which is listening to old southern gospel music. So I know that if I'm quoting an old southern gospel song, there probably are not a lot of people here in New England that know them. But one of my old favorites is called Please Don't Tell My Daddy. It's a story of a little boy named Tommy who, in the song, hears two men talking. And they're talking in the other room, and little Tommy is probably about five or six years old at the time. And the two men are talking, and they're saying, you know... All this stuff about God isn't real, and there really wasn't a guy named Jesus. And so then the story in the song picks up with little Tommy saying, Please don't tell my daddy Jesus isn't real. Please don't make him the way he was before. And as the story goes on, or the song goes on, little Tommy recollects what an amazing change has happened in his dad's life since his dad came to faith in Christ. Yes, his dad had given his life to Jesus for the purpose of forgiveness, but now he had learned to be a true husband and a true man and a true father and a truly responsible person. And the benefits of being a Christian man were so much more than just receiving forgiveness. Absolutely, we receive forgiveness, but it was so far that little Tommy certainly didn't want his dad to lose those benefits or their family to lose them. Ruth and Naomi gained more than a family and more than a farm. They gained an entire life and an inheritance and a blessing beyond anything that they could imagine. You know, this morning, we can't make the coronavirus go away, but we can receive what God and Jesus, our Savior, offers us in the midst of it. We can build our relationship with Jesus like we've never built it before and get to know him, not because we're forced to, not because it's a box that we check, Because it's a relationship that we can grow into and we can discover that no matter what we face or where we are, that God is with us and we start discovering that God speaks to us and guides us and gives us assurance at times and gives us those nudgings in our heart to reach out to someone else and then starts giving us a completely different identity. So we come to life and we see all of our character flaws and the things that we don't want anybody else to know but we discover that God wants to work on every single one of those in our life. Isn't that an amazing promise? All the things that you and I don't like about ourselves, that we have a hard time accepting, God helps us accept them and start realizing we're created just the way God wanted us to be created. You were exactly the person that God wanted you to be. He made you exactly how you wanted, he wanted to make you. Isn't that an amazing promise? And now he's working in your life and my life to help us overcome things that are struggles and difficulties. Young Hannah, this kid in the movie, who's come to faith now in Christ and has discovered that she has a perfect father and her heavenly father, gets a challenge to relook at her life. Now that she's a person of faith, she's invited to take her Bible. I picking up my text here, and turn to the book of Ephesians. And she's asked to do a simple thing. She's asked to turn to Ephesians and to Ephesians in the first two chapters to read it carefully over and over and over and write down about herself 
everything that she discovers that's a benefit of being a child of God. I'm going to give our congregation that same challenge. I invite you this week to take the book of Ephesians, to open only to the first two chapters and to read them over and over and over again, and to take a journal. Now, hopefully you have one of our Faith Community Church prayer journals. If not, again, put a comment in our text on our Facebook page, and we will get one of these sent to you. And do like I did. Open up your journal. Take Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, and start with these two words, I am, dot, dot, dot. And then as you read through the first two chapters, just write all the things that God says about you. Young Hannah does it in the movie, and it changes her life. And I believe that if we do that ourselves, we will start seeing the benefits of salvation. Listen as I just read the first couple verses from chapter 1. Where Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace be to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I just looked at those verses and I thought of these things that we can all say about ourselves. I am a saint. We're called saints. Imagine that. No matter what you've done wrong in your life, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, you're a saint. I'm a saint. I am faithful. Now, we've all heard throughout our life all the things that we messed up on and we didn't do well, but God's telling us that we're faithful. I am graced by the Father. I'm given peace by God. I'm blessed by the Father. You'll go on and you'll discover, as you take the challenge, first two chapters of Ephesians, Take a journal, a sheet of paper, take one of the journals, the prayer journals we've given you, and just spend a week looking at those first two chapters and writing down who I am in Christ. You see, if we are honest, we know that there are false saviors out there, and we need to be aware of them. And we're invited this morning to believe in the true Savior, the one who gave his life for you, the one who died for you and for me to allow us to have a personal relationship with him, no matter where we are in our life and no matter what we've done wrong. And then we're invited to benefit from that, to personally benefit, not just because we know that someday we'll be in heaven. That's awesome. That's a great, great understanding. And we'll be reunited with our loved ones and with our Savior. But the benefit today of knowing who we are in Christ we're going to close our service this morning with a song, Who You Say I Am. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never allowed Christ's forgiveness to be there for you personally, I'd first like to offer a prayer, and I invite you to pray the prayer with me. And reach out to me or to Pastor David and let us know if you've taken this step today. And if you have, that's awesome. Still pray the prayer along with me. And then this week, wherever we are in our faith journey, let's look at who Jesus says we are as his children. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. I trust in you and you alone. I accept the forgiveness that you offer me. Live in my heart and help me see who you say I am. In Christ's name we pray.